Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we get a chance to speak with Nathan DeSantos, who is considered to be one of Canada's top-ranked competitors on the international circuit. We are powered by Spirit Leaf Waterdown. Located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario, they are Canada's premium shop for cannabis. Alex and his crew know their cannabis, and they will help you out with all your needs in THC and CBD products. Make sure you're following us both on Instagram, and you'll save some money every time you shop. Shop online and get curbside pickup. And now, enjoy the show. You got a nice setup there. Like, is that is that your place, or? Yeah, yeah. I live with my girlfriend. Thanks, man. Nice. Is that your gaming chair? Cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is, that is, that is a, that's a legit gaming chair too. Legit. Yeah, it's a good it's a good one. I sit in it a lot, so <laughs> is this your uh do you have a sponsorship to Secret Lab or is this uh do something not. that you're working on for the <laughs> no, no codes, no codes there, man. <laughs> so do you get to stream online with uh Mr. Greg King all the time and talk shit with each other or yeah. I'm not sure, or you just kind of just do your thing. <laughs> I wish, man. I haven't got to play with them. Uh, I do a bunch. I edit. I game. Uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, I invested in a chair as I sit in it a lot. So, hey, you gotta be comfortable, man. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Especially with everybody sitting in lockdown for the next. Uh, for real. Years long. So yeah, I, I got a cheap piece of shit little plastic chair, so <laughs> I, I can't really complain. We can't really say much. We're sponsored by IKEA right now, so <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, it's yeah. not bad. No, they make good yeah. stuff. Make so, good stuff, but we all pay for it, so it's, it's, right. it's not like they didn't buy it for us. <laughs> all right. Well, Nathan, I want to thank you very much for jumping on the show today. Thank you for taking time. Uh, how have things been going so far? uh man well thanks for having me on really appreciate it guys um well so far man the lockdown's been like nine months so it's hard to there's a lot of different phases that's been that's been uh happening um but when things first shut down you know we're kind of unsure and then when the gyms opened up i was able to teach a little bit uh but as of now uh luckily i got to go to orlando for masters worlds and i went two weeks early to train with uh, the guys at Henzo Gracie's, uh, Pat opened his doors for me and, and let me train there for two weeks before the tournament. Um, so that was awesome, man. Cause in Orlando, they do not care. <laughs> they're just living, they're just living like normal, man, like freedom, guns, freedom, and jujitsu really <laughs> guns, freedom, uh, America. I was going to yeah. ask you like, what's, what's that experience like? Because you're going from, you're going from here. There's a lot of restrictions. There's a lot of different things going on. And then you go to a place down there. It's like the total opposite. It's the wild west. Like what mm-hmm. are, what was, um, what was that experience like going from here to down to old Florida? Yeah. Well, I think to start, like I did, I got Corona. I got sick, uh, in September, I believe I got it. Okay. And I just got it from a training partner who worked, who worked in like a, like a public space and he got it. He got, he gave it to me. Um, I mean, for the first couple of days, it was really bad. Like I was like fever, body aches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I, after that I got better. So like for me being healthy, I mean, I was okay. Like luckily. <laughs> um, so 
I, I say that because going going there, um, I wasn't super worried. Like I've had it before, and I don't okay. know I don't know how it works with like um, immunity and stuff. But they're living like you know they got masks, but it's kind of like a formality. They're going to restaurants. You can pretty much do whatever you want, and you can train. Like people just train, and they don't care. And the tournament, you have to wear the mask to get into the venue. But then right after that, like masks are off, and people are just you know living like normal. So um, it, it was just like. Uh, for lack of a better term, a breath of fresh air <laughs> to, to go somewhere <laughs> where they don't really care. But um, I just wanted to train, man. So that was my one goal. And I, you know, I just did what I, what I had to. And I know we have to do these things to like stay, to stay safe, but it, it was nice to, to just pretty much live like normal. Yeah. So like when you look at like the venue, especially like obviously there's precautions in place and all that kind of jazz, like was it still busy or there's still a lot of competition? Like was your bracket really big still or were things starting to kind of like simmer down depending Gosh. on? Yeah, I think like uh, the brackets were probably smaller. Actually, they, they definitely were. You saw guys like dropping out for whatever reason. They would give you a refund if you if it was any like for free if or uh, if it was anything related to COVID they would just they would just send you your money back so guys were, were dropping out, um, but in the venue you can only bring one guest or a uh, coach actually each athlete can bring a coach, um, but you could literally just walk in through the side doors or like you know it, it wasn't hard to <laughs> to get into, so like they didn't really care like the venue staff was like walking around telling you put your mask on but as soon as they walk away like people were taking it off, and. Honestly, like personally, I wasn't concerned. I just wanted to compete and, and perform. And then, and then afterwards, like I, I would worry about that. But it, it, like I said, it's more of a formality there. They just, you wear it because you, you have to get in the door and then no one cares after that. Yeah. Was this your first like big tournament of 2020 or had you had a chance to compete before the anything mm -hmm. shut down before? Yeah, man, I'm trying to remember. Man, it's been so long. I think I did the... <laughs> it has. I don't even... Right? <laughs> we're coming up on a year. I'm like, I'm like, like you know, like, on a year. earlier this year, like, I was in another... It's like, last year, I was in another country. And then, like, what's travel like? Like, what's oh, it for like real. on a plane? Yeah. It, it's all a blur. But I think I did the Abu Dhabi, uh, the AJP in Toronto. That might have been my last one. Okay. And then we actually... I had the trip. I had the trip to uh, Abu Dhabi, but they postponed it. So it's coming up. It's supposed to be in February. We don't know if it's going to get postponed again. Uh, so I'm just kind of waiting. And then, yeah, that, I didn't compete until until last month. Gotcha. Hmm. So how, did it feel like um, like trying to find a rhythm again, or was it something you were able to kind of like just I felt felt normal getting back into that kind of circuit or that type of training again? Hmm. Well. Training here has been tough, like hard training. Like you can get a yeah. few guys together. You can go to a basement, but like sometimes, um, you know, the space you need to like actually train hard and work the scrambles and, and work it has been tough. So like I wasn't able to train properly, which is another reason why, like when it came to going to Orlando, like George, uh, my professor is just like, man, why don't you just go down there and talk to Pat and, and train? And, and that was the best thing I could have done. I wish I actually did it longer, maybe a month. Mm -hmm. So I did feel like kind of, I guess, kind of rusty. My, my cardio was was bad even though the matches were six minutes it, it was tough but um i'm grateful i got to go there and at least get some hard training and leading up to the tournament and things pretty much felt normal going into it yeah you meant you mentioned something about like you know hey like right now like pretty much all gyms are shut down but like you know some people are like yeah, kind of getting together and training 
Mm-hmm. But like you also see like in Florida, like things are, you know, things are open, full, full guns blazing, no restrictions, no nothing. Um, and you, you also have a pretty unique experience because you mentioned like, hey, I got COVID. I was sick. For, I was pretty sick for a few days to a week or so. Basically what you mentioned. Um, kind of like going forward, like what would you like to see even with like, you know, academies like, you know, like Toronto BJJ where you're at or other academies where number one, like how can you reopen and like you know try to keep everybody as safe as possible and well you can't really social distance and do jiu-jitsu i think we can all agree on that it's a pretty uh up close (laughs) up Mm -hmm. close sport but like what are some things that you you would like to see kind of going into you know into the future for that right i think like when we were open you remember that that little period where we were able to like do a social social distancing sort of style um Mm -hmm. no one at Toronto BJJ, like got sick through like, um, contact in, in the classes. Like I got it from Mosley, but that was outside of, outside of the gym. Like, in a we were, we were, uh, lifting weights together. So we had like the precautions that they told us to do were, I think like not super hard, like how people come in, they sanitize, they, they find their space and like working with a couple training partners and how we had it going was like a pretty good idea besides like the not being able to roll part, which is kind of bullshit. Like you can drill, but can't roll. Didn't really, it didn't make sense. It doesn't really make sense because like, if you're going to drill with somebody and you're already like breathing on each other and then like, well, you might as well roll. Like what's the exactly. point? <laughs> yeah. That was a, that was a, a like a formality that, that, you know, people just didn't understand or whoever made that rule didn't fully understand the sport. Um, but if you could do those precautions and roll, I think we'd like, be in the right direction to like having a safe training environment and you can kind of keep people limited to like, even if you're like groups of four, it would, it, I think it would work. Um, so when things do reopen, that's probably the move. I don't know um, if we're going to have to do that drilling thing again. Cause I know most people were rolling uh, in our classes. We were pretty strict with it, but like, um, you know, I think it's worse that people go underground training and you, you get a bunch of guys to like a basement and everyone's mixing it up and you don't even know some of the people. So I think it's much safer to do it like in an academy where you can keep track and you know exactly who's coming through the doors. I think that would be the move when we, when we were able to reopen. Yeah. I think you made a good point where, especially like when you talk about guys in basements and you don't know what's going on. Are they, it's like even basic like hygiene. Are they even cleaning mats? Are they doing all the yeah. other stuff right in their yeah. own house compared to like, you know, a facility that's going to have controlled spaces airflow again your your training partners that you agree with to come in and all that kind of stuff so i I see what you're saying there Mm -hmm. yeah and i think like um when it comes to it it can't be like orlando like like, if you're trying to stay safe (laughs) i don't know about the vaccine stuff (laughs) you know orlando texas whatever they're just like it it just doesn't even exist it doesn't even cross your mind there it's like completely Mm -hmm. normal once you walk in the doors um you know, which is great to an ex- for jujitsu, like for training. But um, I, th- I think if we had some precautions, like coming in with your mask, finding your space, getting with your partners, then uh, I think that would definitely be doable. Gotcha. What What do you think, like in a perfect world, I, I always like to get everybody's uh, opinion on it, especially like if the vaccine comes around, if people take it or not, do you think things just go back to normal or is it like kind of touch and go as we kind of go? Right. I don't think it'll just like flip a switch and, and, and everything's back to normal. That doesn't seem realistic, but I think like slowly starting to open things up, we might have to do these precautions again, but I think like over time it can get back to normal, but 
um, not just like the vaccine's out and, and everything's green, good to go. So it, it'll definitely be a slow process for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think even with sure. a vaccine, I think COVID's not just going to like disappear. It's going to be, a thing. I think it's going to be a thing for a long time, mm-hmm. but I think it's also important to like, Hey, you know, I would rather train in an environment that's a lot more controlled, such as like you go to like Toronto BJJ or like your local gym where you're training with the same people there and all these precautions are followed versus going to like, you know, like a bolo basement and like <laughs> hiding out <laughs> underground and it looks like the Terminator and <laughs> exactly those, those that's, that's what I would kind of prefer to, that's the environment I would personally like train in. Cause on, mm. on, honestly, like I think I probably had, I can't confirm if I had COVID or not because I had something very similar symptom wise, like the beginning of last year, like around this time. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that like whatever it w- whatever it was, and my wife got it too, and like she had like different. It was like bronchitis, but like difficulty breathing. But then they basically she went to the doctor, and they she had to get like a breathing treatment. And they basically said like this looks like a quote unquote really bad strain of flu. Right. But this was like mid late January last year, where like you got know you. it was happening in Asia, but then like it wasn't really happening here. But then yeah it was starting to kind of sort of happen here. It just wasn't really publicized or tested as much as it is now where like you turn on the news or like, these are the numbers, this is this. Mm-hmm. Did, um, did you ever like get contacted at all, Nathan, for like the plasma research or like, you know, or like because you have the antibodies, you've had a confirmed case. And so, you know, they were taking like plasma for actually like, helping fight off infections and stuff like that. Did you hear no. about that at all? No, yeah, that sounds cool. But, yeah. Cause that's, that's the one where like people were actually have it. And then they were taking their strain of plasma to kind of like for research purposes. And especially if people have like COVID really bad, it was helping for like create antibodies or something. Like I was just curious to see if, okay, I know cool. some people have had that, but I don't know how it was, I don't know how widespread it is. It's more of a, it's just in the hospital or like people who've been hospitalized or if it's mm. just for like everybody. Uh, this is a question. Mm. But so like, how did you kind of like get connected into like Toronto BJJ? Cause that's a, is that the club that you've started with at Jiu-Jitsu or do you kind of work from different clubs? It is. Well, I started in karate when I was eight and it, it, I live in Etobicoke. So that's kind of where I grew up and I did that for like 12 years and I got my black belt in karate and, and um, it was kind of a mixed style where like we would see some jujitsu, like, like Japanese jujitsu. So like Mm -hmm. arm bars and kind of judo throws and stuff. Um, But one day we had a Brazilian jujitsu instructor come to our school and he was a blue belt and he started teaching classes and on Saturday. So we started rolling with him and uh, a bunch of the guys from high school, we'd we'd all come in because like that was a fun thing to do is just roll. And then we started with him and then, uh, he, he, I don't know how he ended up leaving, but, um, my good friend, Mike Z trained with me and he moved to Toronto BJJ in high school. And he started, he got like his blue, even purple belt before I even started. And when I finished high school, I wanted to do, I really wanted to like compete in jujitsu. So my instructor there, Jay said, go to Toronto BJJ. And I was like, okay, Mike already trains there. It'll be perfect. So I, I went and that was like in 2010. So I've been training like like that guy taught me for a couple months, but I pretty much started at Toronto BJJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. And I would say like, one thing about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh Toronto BJJ is where I, where I started. Um, 
but like I said, I came into it already wanting to compete. So I competed like after a couple of weeks, George was just like, there's a tournament coming up, like jump in. And, uh, I did it and I think I won a match and then lost. And then my second tournament was the, was the Abu Dhabi trials in, in Montreal, but it was like white and blue boats mixed. Right. Right. In the and, fire. Yeah. Just right in. And then, uh, hey, go out there, get out there, kid. That, that's, that's the, that's the George style. It's like, you're young, like you'll be all right. And, and Mike, like my good friends, Mike and Tom, they all compete already. They're just like, just do it. Um, so I jumped in, I think I beat a white, a couple of white belts. I lost to a blue belt, but anyway, like I just started competing right off the bat and it, it was kind of pretty natural for me, especially competing in karate and stuff. And then, uh, when I was around like purple belt, um, I started doing like volunteer work with like, uh, Josh had uh, a teens program, like in high school. And I taught that for free. And then when, when a spot opened up at Toronto BJJ, I started teaching there too. Uh, when I was around a purple belt, like four or five years in. And um, now I just teach and compete as pretty much like my, my goals and, um, you know, haven't stopped for the past, you know, six years teaching and competing. That's awesome. What, so, got, so what, uh, sorry, go ahead, Aaron. No, I was going to ask like, so have you had, like, have you kind of made the switch to like teach, compete full-time? Is that kind of like you, what you do? Yeah, that's what I do full-time. I have some work like around the gym as well, like behind the scenes stuff, like the, the mm -hmm. media and, and some hyperfly things like working for them. And I'm also sponsored by them. So gotcha. there's a few other things that I, I do in the background. So that keeps me busy throughout the day. It's not like, even though I am a full-time competitor and teacher, like I still got some other things uh, to work on, which is, which has also been great during this pandemic. Cause obviously I can't teach, but um, I have a few private students that I do uh, that I've been working with and we have our, our small group. And then I've been able to work, you know, for like, we're, we're doing some projects in the, on like the online side and, I've been, been helping with all that. So at least it's a little bit of downtime to get all this work done and, and it's kind of been good and we kind of pivoted. So it worked out. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Right. That's yeah. like, that's what I wanted to see. Cause like, there's some guys that are like, they just teach and that's it. And then yeah. kind of like their clubs have shut down and they haven't been able to do anything. Right? right. And then there's other guys that compete, but they have full-time jobs on the side. So that's kind of sure. you keeping income. So that's why I was curious. Yeah. Or Orlando was actually sick. Cause I just literally trained in the morning, like with hard with the guys. And then I would just sleep cause I didn't really have much to do. And then I'd come back and it was like truly like two weeks where I trained again, like a full-time competitor with like nothing mm -hmm. to do. And that was actually kind of nice because it's always like something working at the gym. It's not just like I'm 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 resting throughout the day. So yeah. it, it was nice to just get like that. Like back when I was a purple ball, used to, we used to do that a lot more before I had like all these jobs. Um, so it was kind of nice. It's a nice little break going to throw back to like your yeah. earlier belt days where you just trained. Just the grind. Yeah. No, no responsibilities whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, uh, what got you initially um interested in competing in jiu-jitsu like were you competitive in karate like did you do like karate tournaments we did some like it's not super competitive and they had like a style of japanese jiu-jitsu that was kind of competitive but um being being like best friends with mike and and thomas beach at the time like they were already established competitors and they were my close friends so like it, it came really natural like we'd hang out and then mike would be like watch this hodger gracie match or watch this and it just like it just became normal. Like I started jujitsu because it was fun to roll and I kind of made that transition. because it was fun to roll, but just hanging out with the group that I did, it was just like, they just like competing is just a part of them. And, and they kind of just pass that on to me. So when you kind of like look at like, whether it's competition footage, like who's the, the guy that you're really kind of 
who you're looking at mostly which matches are you kind of like going to pull up mm, i watch man i think like now especially during the quarantine i watch a lot of videos a lot of instructionals um so i, I take bits and pieces from people like i i used to be really into like the barambolo game so i'd watch the small guys mike musamessi is crazy barambolo details so I'll, I'll watch them for that and then when it comes to like i am a medium heavy um, so like you, I start to go to the heavier side. I watch like pretty much all the guys in my bracket that I fight against, like, you know, Lucas Barbosa, but you can take things from like heavier guys too, uh, with like, um, you know, the guys who put the pressure. So I kind of watch them all, but I would say one of my favorites right now, I like Marigali's game, how he's like super long collar and sleeve. Um, you know, Delaheva X is really sick too. So like, I'll watch how he sets it up against the best people. Um, but I feel like there's there's no one guy in particular. I kind of take as much as I can from everybody. Yeah. How about like matches that you've watched? Like, is there matches that have stood out to you? Like, cause you've, you've competed at worlds and pans a lot. Are there mm. matches that you've seen live that are like maybe like higher belts that you watch or you're like, like that are just etched in your mind. Cause I have a couple that I watched at worlds. And I'm like, these, this is, these matches are unreal. Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah. Well, man, Sunday at worlds, like watching all the black belts. Yeah. I want to be there. I want to compete on Sunday. That's a huge goal of mine, but, but compete like watching those tournaments is so cool. And I think like one of the most memorable is when, uh, Bushesha fought Hidalfo and that was like a crazy match. And he ended up spinning to his back from like the single leg act from the top position. Like I saw that live and it's like, it, it was just so cool. And that was like one of the, probably the one that stands out the most because like, I get, I watched a lot of Bushesha too and Hidalfo. So being able to, to just watch all these, that match live in particular was uh, probably the one that stands out the most. There's some, some crazy matches. One that actually stood out to me, I think it was 2000, I think it was a blue belt. I think it was like 2013. It was, it was actually Keenan when he was a brown belt, when he was facing mm -hmm. Jackson Sousa. Okay. I don't, I don't even remember that match. The reason why I, the reason why I remember it is because like, Jackson Sousa was like the guy in Brazil at the time. Like he, yeah. the, like he was, he was the up and coming guy. Like he was the man at Brown belt basically, uh -huh. but he couldn't get into North America to like fight the top, like North American guys, like all the Americans. Yeah, yeah. Keenan was the top guy in North America at the time. Uh -huh. so it was like this huge, like, you know, North America, South America clash thing on top. Right. Of and it was, it was in, it was in the absolute, I think it was like the semifinals and, I remember there's like, there's like, you know, there's like 12, 14 mats going cause it's worlds and mm -hmm. all the other matches are like, it's like black belt competitors, like all, like all different weight classes are going. And then there's the Brown belt absolute division. Everybody's watching that. Okay. So that's the one yeah, thing I remember. Cool. It's like every, nobody's paying attention to the black belts there. Everybody's uh -huh. watching the match and like people are like, bang. I thought people were going to be rioting. It's like, right, right. That's sick. That's sick. That was one you, match that's definitely like stood out. Man, how many times did we fight, Mike? How many times did we compete against each other? Uh, too many. <laughs> too many, right? <laughs> too blue, many. Blue and purple, we fought a lot, huh? I think. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some close uh, matches. Been, we've had some close matches. We've uh, uh -huh. unfortunately uh, been stuck scissor banging with each other a little too much. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> For I think both of our likings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I go back, you know what? It's, it's funny because I've actually showed like people like, Oh, like they, they don't, at the time they didn't know what jujitsu was. And then it's like, 
It's like, you know, like maybe I should show them a match and it's like me versus Nathan just sitting. No, I'm not going to show them that. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> it's like we're just like stuck dry humping in 50 50 for 50, like. Yeah. I definitely back. didn't know any escapes back then. It was just, just hold and get on top, probably. That's <laughs> it's crazy. I like that position has evolved so much that yeah, like there's yeah. so many intricate. It's like you, you can use any position to stall. Like you can use like you can use any sort of lapel guard to stall you can use closed mm. guard to stall but like 50 50 it's like at the time it was just kind of like okay well you're, you're both kind of stuck here yeah yeah pretend to pretend to footlock the person and like make right. faces. <laughs> yeah. and so like you can do that or now there's like a lot more intricate setups to like you can like take the back barambolo like you mm. name it <laughs> yeah well so even in nogi too with the heel hooking that just like 50 50 is so much more deadlier when you have the heel hooks involved yeah, it, it definitely is. Now, are you are you looking to compete more like Nogi or are you sticking to Gi? You've mostly done most, I would say mostly Gi tournaments, but like mm-hmm. train Nogi like here and there. Like, do you do you want to do both or you just you're like, hey, I'm just going to do, you know, Gi tournaments, IBJJF. Like, where's kind of like your, your your head at with that now? Now you're a black belt. Yeah, I, I definitely want to do more Nogi. Like we train it. It's just like the... Uh, we don't have as much classes. Like it's just how it goes at our gym. Like we just kind of focus on the gi. Like I would definitely do more no gi, and I would like to train for this new rule set because there's way more opportunities when it comes to like super fights and and even now with IBGF, it's like it was kind. Con- even though you won no gi worlds, it was like okay, it's no gi worlds. It's not because there's a certain rule set. So man, I think I've only done like two no gi tournaments in my life. It was no gi pans and no gi worlds. I had done those two, so I just jumped right in. Um, but I want to just uh, I definitely want to be more proficient. I've been studying a lot too, like the, the leg lock stuff. So I think, um, I think it would translate well to my game. So I, I'm excited to, to try some Nogi and, and just jump in there and see what happens. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think Nogi has evolved so much to where you're seeing like, I know like Danaher and a lot of those guys have made it a lot more famous, but then mm-hmm. like, there's a lot more super fights in Nogi versus Gi versus I would say like five years ago, like, yeah. Like I would say the popularity of Nogi's really gone of Nogi Jiu-Jitsu's gone up huge, I would say, the last few years versus Gi. For like, sure. Why do you think that is? Well, definitely, like you said, Danaher and those guys definitely had a huge part in it. Um, but I think just at, from a spectator point of view, like if you just think of a bunch of bros watching jujitsu, they'd much rather see them in like Nogi stuff. It's closer to MMA, I guess. <laughs> like, bunch of bro, bunch of bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like guys. They don't want to see me and you scissor banging in, in, in the gi. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is and gonna like, put what... butts in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely cooler to watch, I guess, if you don't train jujitsu. Um, just just solely on how it looks. You know, like the Eddie Bravo sort of these guys getting like these super fight cards, like getting it more mainstream. That's all Nogi. So it, it, I think it's a little bit closer to MMA. It's a little bit more accessible. It looks cooler. And then people are starting to learn the terminology because of MMA. So it's clear to see like these arm bars, these heel hooks. It's like, I think it's just more accessible in general. And the gi just like, to someone who doesn't know, just I, I, I could see it. It looks kind of stupid, you know? <laughs> Everyone wearing pajamas and, and grappling. So yeah, I, I, that's probably it. So when you kind of see like different rule sets, like obviously with ADCC or even like SUG with the overtime rules, like the EBI style, what kind of rule sets are like, you think is going to be the, the ones that are really going to take off? Is it going to be more of that ADCC or like, you know, what's your favorite? It's mm. a better question. 
man, I think like people want to see exciting matches like that. That's just it. So when they're short, I think like sometimes like Abu Dhabi, when they're short matches, you can get a lot of intensity and, that, and that's exciting. Like a six minute fight is often uh, easier to watch. Like even if, if you guys have ever been on YouTube and you see a fight and it's like 14 minutes, yeah, kind of like, just skim through that YouTube, you yeah. know, just draw the line. Yeah. Um, so like that, that is tough to watch and you guys train, we all train and like, that's tough for us to watch. So I think like maybe shorter matches with, with, uh, you know, incentive to like get those, get those points or get the win. People want to see an arm raise at the end of the day. It sucks when it's a, when it's mm-hmm. a draw. And, but then there's like guys like Gordon Ryan where they want the submission only and they want to go forever and, and get the submission. And I think like for high level matches that could work because some, you know, someone's going to get a submission at the end. So personally, I like shorter matches because you can keep that intensity up and like go for the kill 10 minutes. Sometimes it's like a mutual understanding with you and your opponent. You guys are both going to rest. You just kind of sit there with the grips and then, you're tired. I'm tired. Let's, <laughs> let's reset in a minute. Uh, you know, but take, I would say shorter matches break, are, two, are more exciting. Five minute yeah. rounds instead of one, yeah, yeah. one ten minute round. Right. <laughs> but I no, I think I agree because I I think if you have shorter matches, like it doesn't have to necessarily be six minutes, but I think like ten minutes or less, I think is kind of like mm-hmm. a, a sweet spot for it because I think after beyond that, because I would say some of the worst matches I've ever seen were either a where it's like I think one match I referenced a long time ago. I think it was the second time I think or second or third time I think Hoffa Mendez and Cabrina competed against each other at ADCC but mm. I remember I think it was 2000 no it was 2013 I think it was the third time because they fought in 2009 11 yeah so <coughs> 2013 um it was basically those two guys world-class jiu-jitsu practitioners like can can strangle me like 25 different ways <laughs> but they had maybe one of the worst like division seven wrestling matches I think I've ever seen in my entire life for like yeah. 45 minutes. Like I had to turn mm-hmm. it off. I remember that. And yeah. Where, but I think it was also like, they were so equally skilled where it's like, that's kind of where the strategy laid, but neither their wrestling at the time, the wrestling wasn't as developed as it is now. So right. like, that was definitely like a, a glaring hole there. I think, so I think having like shorter matches, I think what you said, I agree with that. And I think just the rule set that promotes action as well. Like what are, what mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Like, you know, the, you compete in the IBJJF rule set a lot. You've probably been mm-hmm. to a lot of, you like study the rules thoroughly. Like what are some rules or rule changes you would like to see, not just in the IBJJF, but in different rule sets altogether. Mm. Uh, man, one, they do it at, uh, in UAE. That's, I think is really good. And it's similar to IBGF, but what they do is they like, they, they call like a stalling and then you have like 10 seconds to act. And if you don't act within those 10 seconds, then you actually get it. So it's like, it's apparent to the competitor what's happening and, and everyone watching. So it's like an action call. And I think that that's just so much easier for everyone to understand because sometimes, you'll get a, a, a stalling and it's just kind of out of the blue or you don't feel like it was warranted for either you or, or the person who gets it. And it's kind of just up to the discretion of the ref. Like he has his imaginary timer. Maybe he checks his watch, but I think like when it's apparent, like, Hey, you're about to get a stalling like action. And then you got to do something. I think that's a great rule to like, just boost the pace and they can call it very like pretty quickly. You know, if, if it takes 30 seconds to get a stalling call, they can start calling this action within like 20 seconds. 
because then you have mm-hmm. 10 seconds, right? And then, and it kind of makes you, it forces you to do something. And it, it's not more like when people watch, it's not like the discretion of the ref. They're like, hey, action, or you're going to get a, a stalling. I think that was great. And it kept the action up for the match. That's one thing I would definitely change. One so thing that I don't the, like, I, sorry, oh, one thing I don't like yeah, yeah. Uh, that the UAE did is they took out the back, of, grabbing the back of the pants, you know, four fingers in the back of the pant grip. Yes, okay. they did. Which is they so powerful. They, they made it illegal. I, I don't know. People are like seeing a lot of butts in matches or something. I don't know what the solution <laughs> it's, is. It's, it's, very, but, it's, very, it's very haram in the UAE. I don't think they want to. <laughs> right? Well, well, the women wear tights, like are uh, like a full body suit. So yep. that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, I don't know if we could have a singlet under or something, but like the back of the pant grip is so powerful and they just made that illegal. I don't know if it's changed or it's going to change, but I think that was sort of in the wrong direction. In terms so of the, grab, the, the pant grip is no good, but you can still grab the key top or the belt behind the Exa- problem. Yeah, yeah, which is not as strong. Like the belt is it's good, not strong, it's kind yeah. of tight, but yeah, the pants you, are so powerful. You, you can't have your fingers hooked into the person's pants, like in like the waist, basically. Yeah. 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 But you like, you can, like, grab, so like the, you can grab the pants yeah. a bunch of other different ways, but like you can't right. have your fingers inside. Yeah, you can't grab it. That's a good grip, though. It's powerful, yeah. Okay. It's kind of annoying. So, Obviously, like going to compete in like Abu Dhabi, like what type of experience is like that? Because we, we had Mike Sheehan on. He told us about mm-hmm. his experience. We've had Janie on. We've had Patrick on. So, like, what did you, what's your, what was your experience like? Oh, man, it's it, it's so cool because, like, you know, you get to see like a, a totally different side of the world and 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 they embrace jujitsu there like wholeheartedly. Like once you get into the airport, you see like Hadolfo, you see ads of jujitsu off the highway, you see the big stadium for jujitsu. And it's just like, even though the place is so different, like jujitsu just kind of brings everyone together, but they embrace it. And that's why it's so cool. And they treat you like, you know, professional athletes from like the venue to the hotel, to the transportation, to the food, like they, they take care of you in every way. And that's something that, that I've never experienced anywhere else in the world. And then, of course, you can go see like the different culture and you can go to the, you know, the biggest place, the biggest malls in the world and stuff. You can go to Dubai. But I, I think like for me, the way they embrace jujitsu is is like like nothing else. And, you know, I, I just felt like complete. I felt professional there and you feel like you feel like a professional athlete and, and, and they take care of you. What would you like to see change like locally, like not just in Canada, but even just like in Ontario to kind of get. I guess that experience of like bringing that from like Abu Dhabi, you know, that experience of being treated like a professional athlete, Mm -hmm. what are some things you'd like to see changed here to, to help facilitate that for you? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough. It's the culture, like the way they embrace jujitsu is different. I don't think it could ever, you know, match like our professional sports with, in terms of like how popular hockey or basketball or something is like, that would be tough, but um, yeah just for our community, I don't know, maybe like it's tough for us to get exposure. Maybe if we did some more, like there was a time where we had more super fights and they're getting like professional guys to come here and fight. I I don't understand, like maybe the money and the logistics don't actually work, but um, that's everyone's number one answer. Like why, why we don't get as much exposure usually comes down to like, I think some of it's on us. Like we should be beating the best people. Like we should be putting ourselves out there and we're trying. Um, but we like our community doesn't always do as much to like put us on or like if we have if they have opportunities they kind of just uh, you know leave us behind 
when it comes to like promotion or even like I think super fights were a great way to like match us up against people from from all over the world that like those high level guys. And I guess the number one thing is money, which is tough. I don't like I said, I don't fully understand, but that would help. Do you think kind of like with the introduction to like heel hooks and IVJ, you're going to like the idea like super show, super fight shows might be a little bit more possible because I think that's the biggest thing the people want to see heel hooks they want to see the different leg lock attacks it's possible like i was at uh when i was in orlando i actually wa- went to a fight to win because a bunch of the guys were, were competing at it so i watched mm-hmm. and um you know we've had these we've had like similar things here but i think maybe for us to get exposure we gotta we gotta i don't know maybe go down there and fight some of the best guys and and get put on these super fights where like you know flo's watching or these other big these big people are watching we need to go do it so, you know, we could have these things here and bring the people here, but I think our best chances are to go there and, and make waves and, you know, be the underdog and beat some big, beat some big names. Yeah. I, I was talking about this before, with, uh, like several different people. Like, I don't know why, like they got like guys and girls in Ontario don't have that exposure. And a lot of the other people do like in around North America, because like mm-hmm. uh, you're like a world, you're a world-class jiu-jitsu black belt another example of somebody we're talking about was like steve sims when he went to nogi pants like he fought Mm. ronaldo jr to like a very 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 close match and then he fought hulk and he had like a very close match with him as well Mm. and like he meddled in the absolute as well but like you know how much how much exposure did he have before that like very little to none i think right right but like i think i think it's just the I think you need more media. This is kind of why like me and Aaron do this as well. Like we want to have different people on, give them exposure to like, you know, what they do and like how they're training and everything. For sure. Because like, I don't, I don't think locally, like there's not really a lot of that. Like I don't think flow grappling is going to be coming up here anytime soon, unless somebody like takes notice. I think they're, they're cause they're, they're mainly like located in Texas as well. Or in like other places in the U S I think it's, I think you mentioned something like logistically, I think the issue is, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to go take a super fight with this guy in Canada. Who's like, you know, world-class guy. Um, they're going to pay me nothing. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's an issue. It's, it's an issue as well. Cause I'm assuming on like fight to win. I think you're starting to see, I think the separation of like amateur, like the amateur mm-hmm. route and then the professional route where, right where it's, it's still kind of treated like an amateur sport, but now it's starting to evolve into more like a professional sport. So it's just where mm-hmm. do you want to, where do you want to take it? There's different avenues, right? There's different yeah. organizations that are trying to do more like the amateur going the, going the, like, you know, like the JJJ, JJIF and like going to like the Olympics and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but then mm. it's, I think you also have to look at how, okay, well, somebody like yourself, how am I going to make a living doing this if I can't, take super fights and make money and right there's a different well, source of that income right well even with fight to win actually i believe they're not they weren't paying anyone because of the pandemic they can't fill those seats so oh, they're not charging sucks. tickets so because i actually tried to get on the card when i went there and they're just trying they couldn't find me a match it was too short notice it was only like a week but um they weren't paying just because of this this pandemic but you get the exposure right you're on flow and you, your match is up there so that's what all the athletes are doing, but it is mostly local guys. Cause they're going to fill the seats, right. They're going to, they're going to get all the people to come. So it's yeah. tough, but um, 
like even, even for us, like beating these guys or, or like even myself, I fought big names and almost beat them or almost did this, but I think we need to win. Like that, that's no one will remember you if you almost beat them. And I don't think that's enough. Like, I, you know, I'm never happy with like, you know, Oh, you did well against so-and-so. And it's like, who cares at the end of the day he's on the podium or like he, he wins the match no one really unless they're like a super fan or like a fanatic looking at all the matches and seeing like oh you only lost by two like that that's like a mindset you can't have like we need to be beating these guys that's that's the only thing you know and, and I, I've been close but the only way is to beat them that's the only way you're going to get recognized or or you know these guys will put you up is because you have to win so let me ask you this if we're looking at it, okay, we got to win, right? Is it is it a question of like not enough reps, or is it a question of training methods? Is it a training of a point of like environment? Like, what do you think? What do you think is the the missing ingredient to get our yourself other guys over that hump? Mm-hmm. Well, I think like we did start like Canada Jiu-Jitsu in Canada is definitely behind in terms of like just time. Um, but we're starting to see like athletes pop up, like even at the lower belts, like people are in Canada are making waves and they're, they're killing it at purple Brown. You can start like, if they keep up with it, that's a big problem too, is it's hard to maintain this level of training for an extended period of time. You, I've, I've trained and had so many training partners that were on the path, like beating these guys who are winning worlds now, but then life just gets in the way and they got to take a full-time job or like those opportunities aren't always here. Like, luckily I've been able to stay consistent and, and had a lot of support from, you know, Josh and George and Toronto BJJ and it's worked for me, but I've seen so many teammates just up there with me and they kind of just fall off because of this, that, or whatever. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Mike, you've seen like a lot of guys disappear in the scene and you too, Aaron, like you guys train with people who kind of, who had the potential and then they just couldn't keep it up. So I think like we need more ways to allow these people to train like professional athletes for a long period of time. But I don't think we're doing anything wrong in the training room. Like I've trained at multiple gyms now at like high level gyms. I don't think that's the problem. We know how to train. We know how to, how to keep the intensity up and, and make sure we're doing, we're doing everything like the smart way. But I think it's, it's tough to maintain over, you know, the past 10 years, I've seen so many training partners come and go. So yeah. I think we're on the right Absolutely. path, but, but we're just, we're just almost there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think there's an issue of like, oh, like the, where you train is not good enough, like here locally. I think the training here is as good here as anywhere else. And like, I've trained at world-class gyms as well. And you have too. And mm-hmm. like, you can see, like, you can even see for yourself, like when you're taking trips to other gyms and you're like, you know what? Like, this is all, this is all the same jujitsu that we're, that we're learning. It's just a matter of how you're applying it. Yeah. But then I think you mentioned something as well. I think, the next thing I think it needs to happen is evolving, kind of taking things to the next level. I'm talking more like from going from like an like amateur sport to more like a professional. I think we got to start treating it a lot more like a, pro- I'm just going to make a statement. I think we need to start treating jujitsu a lot more like it locally in Ontario. And I would say in the country, you got to treat it like a professional sport. You got to exactly. train like it's a professional sport. You got to, yeah. I think you got to find ways of, for people to try to monetize it as well. I think that's the biggest thing. That's where, where mm. you're tra- it's like, Hey, I'm doing jujitsu. And then like, you probably feel like you're like a starving artist for like a while where it's just like, I do <laughs> yeah. it for the art. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> why, is my ba- why is my bank account <laughs> in negatives? <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And like that's happened to me, that's happened to teammates, but you know, a lot of like for me is just consistency. And luckily I've had these, I've been able to like teach a lot. Toronto BGJ has so many classes. I've been able to find different streams of revenue through jujitsu. But I think like for some people, it's just hard to see because you, they get a full-time job and they're like, why would I do that when I can just do this and still come and roll and have fun. But because training and competing for some people it really sucks. Like the pressure and, and the anxiety and all these things like add up. And some people are so good and I train with people that are so good, but they just can't deal with it. And, and that'll just eat them up. So I don't know. People all have their reasons, but it is tough to make it in jujitsu while like trying to compete and, and make it like a career. I, I get it. It's tough. It's tough for so many people. And I think that might be one reason when you go to like, you know, when you go to, you even see some of the best people like training at Atos, they're living in cars and, and vans. And it's like, they're just, they're doing it for the dream and trying to be a world champion. So it, it's just it's harder to do here. It's a lot colder, you know, hard to live in a van when it's like yeah. 30 out. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a lot of that, like in San Diego and like California where it's just like just people just living in vans, just going to the beach or they're going to for train real. to It's a place to do it. Yeah. It's uh, and jiu-jitsu is one of those things where it's just like starving artists. That's what I compare mm-hmm. it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, even for me, like competing is one of my main goals. I want to be, black belt world champion i want to be on that podium but as i get a little bit older now like i turned 30 is my first masters this year i kind of i'm kind of heading in the direction of like being an instructor more like i think about it more i I try to have like when the gym is open i try to have like the best classes possible i try to study bring the best information to the students but also have like a great class and something that's enjoyable for people and i've kind of been shifting towards that especially like as I get older, because before just, you know, being an athlete is very uh, selfish. Like you, you just worry about yourself. I, I just worry about training hard. I get my heart. I pick the hardest training partners and, you know, I go home, but as I start to become more and more of an instructor and, and take that role as like a leader, I, I, I enjoy teaching luckily. And, and that's something that I'm headed towards. And I feel like that, that's one of my goals now too, as well as to be like a good, good instructor and, and have a great class and, and things like that is that what also I think keeps you interested as well because like me personally i found sometimes if you're just like competing competing training competing like it mm-hmm. wears on you like have you ever felt like burnt out at any point or like or like mm-hmm. how's your experience that or even just mentally like going into like tournaments and things like that like how are you feeling if you're always constantly on the grind yeah i i've definitely felt burnt out burnt out before but like one thing I do, whether I have like a bunch of tournaments back to back to back or it leads up to worlds, I kind of have like a, an end goal for the season where you can kind of map it out. It's not like I'm just entering tournaments blindly and just like, oh, man, this is so tiring. Like, When's it going to end? You, you kind of have an end in sight for the year. Like, OK, worlds is the cutoff. I train hard for that. That's the peak. And then I can kind of rest and chill, maybe enjoy training, like come drill, you know train light but not have like this crazy intense goal in mind and don't put the pressure on myself and that's kind of kept me in it where like I'll, I'll create like a little roadmap of what I'm going to do and then I have the downtime and I even plan that downtime so that it doesn't feel like you're just stuck in this endless loop and and just creating a season for myself basically which which has always helped me and I never really feel burnt out so in your downtime mm-hmm. our dozens and dozens of fans want to know what does Nathan the Santos do in his downtime uh like i like we talked about the gaming i love to just chill out at night and game a little bit 
Um, I like to like my girlfriend and I hang out. We, we, we have like, we just like to go on walks or, or watch movies and stuff. Um, you know, after training with the guys, it's always like, you know, go get lunch or, or, or dinner. That's part of the routine. Um, hanging out with the guys, but otherwise that's it. Pretty simple. Like I don't do, I don't do anything crazy. I get all my, I get to like travel and do all the, all the fun stuff with, with jujitsu and competing. So that kind of keeps me satisfied. I don't have to <laughs> do anything wild. <laughs> what are you, uh, what are you playing? What are you playing on uh game wise right now? I play a bunch of stuff. Like funny thing is, I don't know what a lot of people know, but I used to play like Halo competitively. I used to compete and, and that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The game's kind of died now, but you know, like all first person shooters I love, like I'll play Call of Duty. There's this game Valorant, which is like a shooting game, kind of like Counter-Strike. Um, Smash Brothers. I love the, I love the Nintendo games, but uh, kind of play a bunch of stuff, but mostly shooters. That's, I have a lot of fun with that. Are you going to start a Twitch channel if you haven't yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one. I don't use, I don't like, I don't do it regular. I just kind of do it for my friends, but it's nothing it's nothing serious. I don't see myself like you just like that. You need to, if you want to be successful now, you got to put time. It's not just like you go broadcast and hundreds of people are watching you. Like people build up years for that and you got to be a personality and you got to be on and there's a whole bunch of stuff. So it's fun to go on and just like, you know, get clips and, and show my friends, but I don't, I don't see myself like taking that very seriously. When I, when I take something seriously, I go deep and like, I, I, I can get stuck. I can get stuck yeah, in that. So I, gotta, I don't, I don't know where this is going to lead. If right. I yeah. yeah. I mean, like yeah. it's happened to Greg King. Like he, now he's stuck on, he's stuck on the 401. He's stuck on Twitch. <laughs> like, I don't, he's banned from Facebook. He's banned from Facebook. Hey, bro, yeah. bro, bro, I can't even post bro. What's going on? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. But, uh, I, I go a hundred percent into things. So, jiu-jitsu's that thing did you ever get into any like uh battles online with like talking shit to other guys or like, it ends up being like a 15 year old kid or something like that oh yeah like you hear it a lot like am i i have a few friends that get into it but like i'm so calm and like i'll probably be tired from jujitsu anyways i just I, I don't really get into it man i just mute them if anything. <laughs> yeah. it's, always, it's always like some eight-year-old kid who's just like cursing the storm yeah like no, those kids are, those kids can be mean though that's the thing like, I'm, oh they, I'm they're ruthless like... they're ruthless that's why i what's need the, them i don't want to feel bad about myself man what's the, what's the worst thing somebody said to you online when you're i playing? can't say it i can't straight up can't see it this is uncensored so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever the fuck you want oh man uh yeah i just can't say it it's just it's terrible <laughs> it's <that bad>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow <laughs> you don't know where you're gonna use your imagination <laughs> yeah <laughs> tell me off air so i can call it aaron <laughs> awesome so kind of like as you kind of like hopefully at the end of this covid transition kind of like what's the the next step for you is it really focusing on teaching or is it kind of like mixing a, a bit of teaching with more competitions down the line again mm -hmm. like you said like to be a black belt world champion there, there's you have to be selfish but obviously like if you're trying to be more of a teacher like what kind of route do you kind of see yourself going mm -hmm. well i think there's you have to find a balance like i definitely see myself competing just like i i have been as much as possible um i'll definitely i want to do like everything adult uh, the only thing I'll do masters will be masters worlds. Cause might as well jump into that too. 
um, and just go for as long as I can. Like, it's hard to set a date. Like when I'm 35, I'm going to stop doing like, you know, I'm just going to go with it and, and I feel great right now. So I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, uh, in terms of teaching like Toronto BJJ, I have pretty busy schedule and I hope to get back to that when everything gets back to normal with the, with the kids classes, the teens and, and some adults. Um, I think like I could always improve my classes and make them better. So I'm always trying to do that. I'm studying, like I said, I'm studying a lot of jujitsu. So I have a lot of cool things that I want to, I want to bring back to the students. And it's been tough, man, like watching a lot of jujitsu. And it's like, ah, I just wish I had somebody here with me that I can just like try the thing on. Cause like, yeah, sometimes you just zone out. Sometimes it's too much information. Hey honey, come here a minute. <laughs> She's like, ow, oh, it hurts. Just my girlfriend doesn't train. So yeah. it's hard. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. My wife, lucky, my wife trains. My wife trains. Yeah. Still does that to me. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. But uh, some of my like like Mosley, you know David Mosley. Yeah, I should probably have. He's he's yeah. a great competitor and instructor. He uh he's been one of my best training partners. Even though he's smaller, um, he's always been down to you know meet up and train and drill. And uh, he's helped me a lot, especially through this quarantine, to to get my training in before I left. Um, and he just knows a ton of jujitsu, and he's super powerful, and he's like, you know, a featherweight, a lightweight. I honestly don't know the weight class is lower than middle because it's just why do I need to know those <laughs> no, numbers? I don't, I don't, yeah. like, I, don't, I, don't, I wait when I wait. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he's been one of my best training partners for for you know any time he's down. We you know he's mats in his house. We'll go there. But uh, uh, I just see yeah I just see things like for me I, I'm not slowing down. Things don't really change, and if I can if I can find a way to compete. Um, especially if Abu Dhabi happens in February, still not sure. Like they put my name on the list because I, I have the trip. Yeah, that's coming um, up. Yeah. So I'll be going there if, if it happens, unless they postpone it again, I have no idea, but I'm training like I'm going for it. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, last thing I want to ask you this evening, got, I know you mentioned like some sponsors, but like do you have any sponsors to thank anybody yeah. you want to thank that you haven't already. Uh, you uh -huh. want to shout out your Twitch channel. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, secret lab chairs you're gonna use yeah. promo code nate get 15 percent off <laughs> well you can use that on hyperfly hyperfly.ca uh, my my main sponsor uh if you want anything like that uh they have a lot of cool stuff you just check out the website and grab what you want um and it's nate fly is the code um but yeah toronto bjj josh and george uh my professor they've they've always supported me and helped me out and they made like pretty much all these things that i do possible um, my training partners, Mosley, Sheehan, um, I can't name everybody. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just leave it there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Toronto BJJ and Jiu-Jitsu for life team. All right. We'll leave it at that. Listen, Nathan, <laughs> it's been great. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast tonight. I do appreciate it. I know we were supposed to do it a little earlier, but yeah. before you actually went, but I'm glad we got it now so we could actually talk about how your experience was in Orlando and all that stuff. So it's been perfect. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. I and love I what think, you guys are doing. Keep it up. And I think we're going to end on a high note. I think I have the thumbnail for this. It's, okay. uh, it's going to be one of the matches with me and Nathan. We're going to be in 50-50. <laughs> and in the top right corner, there's going to be a Brazzers logo. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, one thing.